Hi, and thank you for joining us again on the Safety with Purpose. I'm your host, Tamara Paris, and in this episode, I have my friend Andrew Sharman, the managing partner of RMS, president at IOSH, the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health, and professor at CEDEP, the European Center for Executive Development, and our very own Brian McWarther of Safeopedia. This is a part one of a two-part series where we're talking about common trends successful companies share when creating safety excellence. We're going to get some insights to help overcome our struggle of getting our senior executive buy-in for safety. And Andrew's going to share with us details about the EHS Congress 2020. That's happening in Berlin coming up this April the 21st to the 22nd. 2020. So let's get started. Thank you, Andrew and Brian, for joining me. Welcome. Thanks, Tamara. Thanks, Tamara. So I wanted to kick this off to ask you guys, how did you become so passionate about health and safety? Well, Tamara, I literally fell into health and safety by accident. My first career was as a chemical engineer and uh, making an addition of an acid to a process bath one day I wasn't paying attention. I was in my early 20s and talking to a colleague further down the process line about the big rugby match that weekend and where we would watch it. And uh, whilst not paying attention, uh, I felt a, a sensation as the acid, instead of going into the tank, started seeping through my trousers and my jacket. And uh, I, I suppose really the way that I became passionate about safety was through that accident and perhaps through the embarrassment of having to stand in a an emergency drench shower in the dead cold winter uh, of Scotland 20 years ago and uh, the humiliation that was attached to that. But following it, I, uh, I was asked by the group safety manager to, to learn more about safety and to understand about uh, the importance of chemical safety, PPE, personal protective equipment, and the importance of paying attention. So, so that was how it started for me about 24 years ago now. I was with uh, Phillips as a uh, trainer I handled a lot of uh, just the different training programs that we did, uh, including a little bit of safety. And our safety manager went to uh, join another company, a different location. And uh, so they gave me safety at that point in time. Now, this is working in a glass factory. So we had high-speed equipment, uh, glass that can cut you, fire that can burn you. So it's a hazard-rich environment. And yeah, I took the job, gladfully, safety. I figured this would be nice to do. Then I found out at a meeting uh, about a month after I took the hat, said I, I'd be responsible for safety. I found out that we had the worst safety record for that company uh, globally. Our factory had the highest accident rate. Actually, I found out that uh, we were having three accidents a week. And I was talking to one of my friends in HR, and it was really a, a, one of those moments where the hairs on the back of your neck would stand up because I told him, According to our statistics, three of our friends are going to get hurt this week. We're just waiting to see who they are, kind of like a lottery from hell. So, you know, we really focused our efforts and turned it around within the next year. Within a couple of years, went from their worst factory to their best, got a global safety award. So I learned that you can truly drive safety, and I've been pretty much passionate about it ever since. I've been wanting to understand a little bit more as you're working with high performance companies, especially Andrew, um, who really excel in safety. I wanted to learn from you if you've identified any common trends that you believe these companies share in common. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a neat question. Thanks, Tamara. I, um, I've been running my consulting business for about seven years now and uh, with experience in more than about 120 countries uh, around the world. You, you're right. I, I, I do get this diversity of, of, of clients with whom we work. They can come from the oil and gas industry, the construction sector, agriculture, automotive, technology, luxury goods. In fact, our client list tends to be the, the Fortune 500 and FTSE 100 uh, multinational corporations. Uh, and I, I have seen, as, as we work with these organizations, trying to help them improve their culture and enable excellence in safety, I have seen a couple of things that, that I, uh, I believe they do have in common. For me, safety excellence is about the quality and impact of leadership. Uh, and, uh, and I suppose there's a bit of a paradox there. In my book, Mind Your Own Business, What Your MBA Should Have Taught You About Safety, I point out that normally operational leaders accelerate through their career progression to senior leaders without having health and safety as a core module in any MBA program. In fact, there isn't a university on the planet that features health and safety as a core to, to an MBA. So as a result, these senior leaders find themselves at, at, uh, at, at, at very high positions and being asked to lead with safety, but often as they confide in, in me and our team, they're not quite sure what to do or say. So the organizations that get this right are the ones whose leaders are bold enough to say, I'm not sure what I should be doing. I'm not sure what I should be saying, but I want to go beyond saying safety first and zero accidents. Uh, and then this bravery, this courage uh, allows those leaders to reflect on, on what they need to do. And it's kind of funny because the answer is simple. What those leaders really need to do in order to, to create safety excellence is be more them, be more human, uh, articulate in their own words why safety is important for them uh, and find real human ways of, of building a rapport and connection between the employee groups and the leaders that surround them. You know, it's really interesting you're bringing this up as, as a common theme, Andrew, because in the conference that I just did at um, a Lab Manager's Safety Summit, what my main topic was was about building a business case for safety. Hmm. And I was trying to explain to, to the professionals there that you need to be coaching your senior leadership about how to include safety into their business objectives. Go and understand what are their business objectives they're trying to achieve and then chat with them, coach them, mentor them, how to include safety within those. What's your, your thought on that? Yeah, look, I, I, I think you're, you're touching on some, some key issues here. It's the brave leaders that are willing to, to welcome and embrace the idea of coaching and guidance and, and to, to go past the traditional ways of thinking about safety. I mean, look, over the last two decades, safety improvements across a number of industries have largely flatlined if we measure in terms of fatalities and serious injury rates. We've reached performance plateau. Uh, despite a vast advance and expansion of safety compliance and, uh, uh, and, and paperwork and, and the ability to evidence what we're doing, organizations, many organizations around the world that we see have become stuck in what we call systems obsession, where they think the answer to more improved safety is simply by creating more policies, more rules, and more systems. But, but the demands of this accountability, the demands of this additional paperwork, 
can be mind boggling. In fact, there's some, some studies that show that health and safety paperwork today, even in developed nations, can, can cost organizations up to 10% of GDP. We, we see organizations that deliberately employ clerks and administrative assistants just to manage the, the, the burden of health and safety documentation that the organizations themselves are demanding. Uh, and, and this is a massive misinterpretation of what the law requires. The law isn't saying you, you need to have reams and reams and volumes of paper. It's about doing the right thing. And, and that's whether we're in uh, Canada, the United States, South America, Europe, or anywhere across the world, the, the law on health and safety work is fundamentally the same. Asking those who run the business to make it as safe, as reasonably practicable to do so, uh, and to, to, to consistently work at improving that and safeguarding workers from harm. So I think we've, we've kind of moved, or many of our organizations have moved into this zone of systems obsession. And the, the job of practitioners and, uh, and of leaders within organizations too is to try to row back from that culture of compliance into something that's much more human focused. You uh, said a lot there, Andrew, that definitely resonated with, with my experience. I, I see the exact same thing. Unfortunately, I see too many companies trying to drive safety off a spreadsheet rather than the human element. I mean, yeah. literally, we're trying to use numbers to drive it and more emphasis on compliance than actual safety, putting the cart ahead of the horse, which is somewhat yeah, ironic. The purpose of OSHA is to keep people safe, but I'll see companies uh, very dehumanizing, spending all their effort on compliance without truly addressing safety. And I love your comment there uh, about leadership actually just being human. Um, I think one of the greatest things any leader can say is, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, kind of getting there with that, that person walking the talk of, you know, what do you think we should do? The main thing is we want to keep people safe. Uh, safety is a human, a humane thing, a humane element. So yeah, I, I love your observations. They definitely resonate with my experience. <laughs> hey, you know, Brian, one of the funny things, as you say about leaders becoming more human there and, and giving your take, um, this idea of humane leadership has become quite popular in other areas with the exception of safety, hasn't it? So I bet you know uh, Simon Sinek, the, the author of the book Start With Why and the other book Leaders Eat Last. Uh, Sinek's TEDx talk has been watched by I don't know, 25 million people around the world now, something like that. I wish I could say my TEDx talk had been watched by so many, but um, Sinek's book, Start With Why, is a great example here of how leaders are being encouraged to become more human. Uh, Sinek says that great leaders inspire engagement and motivation by starting with why the job is important. And that's something we've been sharing in our business with, with the clients that we work with. And I wonder whether it resonates with you, whether you've noticed that if leaders are able to articulate why safety is important for them as individuals, whether that drives a difference in, in the culture of the organization. Oh, absolutely. As a matter of fact, uh, when, I was, when I travel to uh, different facilities, often I'll see that that um, core element of, of leadership, how their, their take is on safety and understanding that why of safety really resonates through the entire group. I'll often teach, a, remember for a group or a community, a team, there are only two benefits that an individual enjoys as part of a group. Only two key benefits, and that's safety and amplification of effort. So if they are not seeing that 
you know, protecting our team is important, protecting the individual, then you just lost one of your major benefits of being part of a team. So, you know, is it any wonder that only one out of every 10 uh, workers in any one place is actually engaged? Well, when you don't feel that, you know, management cares about you, again, they don't get that why, you know, that, that golden circle, that core <laughs> element that drives what we do. You know, as you know, our, our favorite radio station is WIFM, what's in it for me? And again, if they're not protecting me, then that amplification of effort's probably not going to be there because I can't throw all in. That's right. one of the things that's always fascinated me, Andrew, is when you do get it right and you protect people and you see an improvement in safety, usually all their other KPIs go up as well because people can engage and that amplification of effort happens also. But without that safety, you're not going to see it. Yeah, you're, you're right. Um, you know, over here in, in Europe, we've seen the ILO, the United Nations and the World Health Organization all running studies recently on, on return on investment in safety. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know there's similar studies over in the States, uh, and I'm interested in what those numbers are, because over here, we're seeing that for, for every euro, which is almost a dollar right now, isn't it? Uh, so for every euro that's invested is, uh, is returning between four and 10 times that amount. Uh, in terms of benefit back to the business. What are the numbers like in the States at the moment? I would say, uh, you know, I haven't really looked at anything lately, um, but when I have investigated it, 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 I saw it was pretty much the same. I know it was that way when we were with Philips, we were able to really show tremendous cost savings over the next few years as our safety improved. I mean, uh, when we were having three accidents a week, usually one of those was an OSHA recordable. Well, if you're taking someone to the ER once a week, <laughs> there's definitely a dollar amount with that. Plus a snowball of someone changing positions. And, you know, it's, you'll see actually a, an interesting dynamic of a environment that causes more accidents. You have to move so-and-so because this person's hurt. So now you have a person in a job that they don't normally do. And, you know, again, it's just a cascade of uh, a comedy of, of horror, so to speak. So, yeah, um, and that's so important for upper management to understand because, yeah, the, the dollar amount does uh, motivate. So if you can show them that, hey, you know, this is going to be a win-win as you invest time, energy, and money in safety, you know what? It is going to cascade through all these other KPIs, and you will be able to show that you're going to be better off financially. Yeah, right. I, I, I guess it's true to say then that good safety is good business, right? Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Absolutely. When safety professionals are going and talking to the exec senior team, like you said, it's, it's about business, right? So how do we as safety professionals elevate our discussion onto that executive business focus? I think that's a nice one to follow this discussion, isn't it? Um, your, your question is very broad, though. Uh, a, a, a mainstream EHS professional is focusing on the wrong thing. It, it, it's, hard, it's hard to be concise with a question like that. So, so I'll, I'll say, um, look, broadly, I think health and safety professionals are, are, are striving to do a good job. But I notice uh, around the world, and, and I guess I put my hat on here as president of, of IOSH, which is the world's uh, biggest professional body for OSH practitioners. We've got about 48,000 members in 130 countries. If I consider the work that IOSH has been doing to think about the state of the profession, 
uh, as well as my own personal experience working in large organizations around the world, I, I see that a lot of, of, of OSH practitioners don't yet speak the language of business. Uh, it's easy for them to speak the language of safety. They're able to articulate the requirements of, of the laws, the regulations of national policies. They're, they're able to, to, to create, devise, and define acronyms and abbreviations. Uh, and they're able to, to get to the heart of very complex and very technical aspects of health and safety at work. But when I hear these practitioners in the company of leaders or in the boardrooms of their organizations, it seems that there's really a communications chasm between what they speak and what the leaders speak. Uh, and that ends up, I think, with them often talking about the only thing that they feel they're able to communicate clearly and leaders will understand, and that tends to be accident rates. And instead, I think they need to be focusing on how to generate the return on investment that Brian and I were just talking about, and particularly what every leader in the room needs to be doing to, to galvanize that sort of return. Uh, and I, I wonder, as a final point, I, I wonder whether OSH practitioners often do this because they have a similar situation to the one that operational leaders have, as I articulated at the start. So operational leaders don't know much about safety because it's not part of their MBA programs. And I wonder whether OSH practitioners don't know much about leadership because it's not in their health and safety technical programs. So there's an opportunity for both to kind of get onto a level with each other and, and find a communal language that works. Uh, that's a, a very good observation. <laughs> and again, my, my experience resonates that with you know, so well. You know, the lack of knowledge and lack of good consistent communication once you have that knowledge. So there's definitely often a disconnect between the leadership and operations levels. They're two different animals. And when you have that, that lack of safety knowledge and lack of being able to articulate what you do know onto the factory floor or the, you know, the shop floor with the, uh, the individuals, uh, it, it's a mess. I, I always teach you how communication in our business is like the oxygen in our blood. You know, it's what gives life to the organization. So if, if you don't have that consistent message or you don't understand that perspective, you know, you, you take uh, my experience, you know, um, for 14 years early in my life, I was a mechanic, you know, so I worked on a factory floor and I knew what was important to upper management was important to me. And so that's usually performance driven. Yeah. So knowing what those numbers are. So, and unfortunately from a safety standpoint, that can be a really bad thing. <laughs> that means, uh, if I work on the equipment with a guard off on the fly and can keep my numbers up, that's a good thing. You know, probably not that way to the upper management who knows about safety, but not to the operation people that I'm dealing with. So again, that knowledge and communication is so important. And I guess we should be fair and, uh, and point out, Brian, that neither of us are suggesting, I'm sure, that this is something that's consistent to every OSH practitioner oh, everywhere. Yeah. There, there are some great practitioners that really get it and can speak the language of business, right? And actually, I found uh, that, uh, which is really encouraging, most of the people that I've dealt with in safety, if I'm visiting, uh, are that way. In other words, their intentions are good. They just, again, it's that lack of knowledge of communication. When you get to visiting with them uh, about safety, they do want to do the right thing. They do want to protect their people. Again, it's just that, that lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. Uh, 
and lack of emphasis at times. Which is, again, that's encouraging. So that can be fixed. <laughs> Just take some time, but yeah, we can correct that. Yeah, you, you know, I, I was talking to someone yesterday, um, I, I, the, 70 glo- uh, the 70 top leaders of, uh, uh, of a large global food company that assembled for an annual conference. And uh, that we kind of got into this sense of urgency about wanting to make a change. And, and these leaders are really up for it. They, they totally got that they, they needed to lead differently with safety and wanted to change. Uh, uh, and I, I almost had to put the brakes on a little bit and say, hey, hey it's, it's not a revolution we need here. It's an evolution. We've done so much great stuff in safety around the world, in every organization, in every culture, in every country. There's so much progress been made that it would be crazy to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, it's not working. We've got to start over again. So I think being mindful of, of the amazing contribution that OSH practitioners make to their organizations and then thinking about how do we finesse that? How do we refine it? How do we amplify it a little bit more using your mind? Yeah, and that is an excellent comment. So there you have, again, for the individual members in the organization, it's that amplification of effort learning from one another. So spreading that knowledge. And again, that is so powerful. I often teach when I'm working with safety and people is, you know, we've got to cross over from um, knowing about safety uh, to getting that epiphany. I'll often ask people, um, you know, when you're driving, have you ever ran a yellow light or a red light? And, you know, uh, of course, everyone most likely has at some point not paying attention. Or do you always fasten your seatbelt? You know, I can remember when I was a young man driving, uh, it was a law, so often we wouldn't do it. But, you know, you might have that experience where, you know, someone you love has been in a car crash or you had a near accident yourself or you have basically that epiphany where something now just crossed from a rule to, hey, this is now important. This, so it sounds like your experience with those people, they had that epiphany, but now you can get really zealous of, you know, trying to guide people who haven't had the epiphany yet. So it's, you know, we've got to kick up the awareness with them to where, okay, this is important to you now. Now, intelligently, how do we drive this into the culture, yeah. you know? Because if you try to force the epiphany on somebody else, really you're just irritating them. <laughs> it doesn't work too good. A forced epiphany. Yeah, I don't yeah. like the sound of that either. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, you know, maybe before we close out, um, we, we were kindly invited by tomorrow to talk a little bit about the EHS Congress that's happening in 2020. So perhaps as a closing point and, and linking some of the discussions that we've had here, uh, EHS Congress next year is in Berlin on the 20th to the 21st of April 2020. Uh, and we're delighted to be back in such a vibrant city. In terms of what's going on there, we're anticipating 300 leaders from around the world. In, in fact, last, uh, last edition, we had safety leaders coming from Europe, the Middle East, uh, across Africa, the United States, wow. Australia, New Zealand, China, and, and India too. And the makeup of the, uh, the audience uh, at the last edition, 60% of the, uh, the attendees were heads and directors of, of EHS, 25% were EHS managers, and 15% were vice presidents of, of EHS or OSH. And um, in fact, you can pick up a video of the last edition of the EHS Congress just by going to ehscongress.com so you can get a feel for what it's like. I'm pretty excited about next year's Congress uh, in April, to be honest. 
because we've got some real heavy hitters in terms of speakers. We've got Sidney Decker talking about his idea for safety differently. We've got Eric Holnagel talking about safety one versus safety two. We've got Dr. Diane Parker talking about her original safety culture maturity ladder with Patrick Hudson uh, and a whole bunch of others, including Malk Staves, the global VP of safety at L'Oreal, uh, Davide Scotti, head of HSE culture at SIPEM, uh, and many more top speakers. But it's more than just kind of giving information as, as we've started to talk about here. It's about sharing and, and interaction. So there's a whole bunch of panel discussions and debates and lots of opportunities for the audience to interact, in, including a, a pretty tasty wine and dine evening where we've facilitated uh, a great opportunity to network with everyone that's there. So I'm pretty stoked about that. And I'm hoping that, uh, that you and Tamara are going to make it across to Berlin on the 20th and 21st of April next year. And we'll see you guys there to share more. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Sounds good to yeah. me. That would be an exciting time. I think going to the EHS Congress 2020 would be phenomenal. There's a lot of great conversations that's going to be happening there. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, both of you for coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge and expertise uh, with everybody. Um, and for more information, please do see our show notes at safetywithpurpose.com. And do check out the EHS Congress in 2020 that Andrew is going to be heading up. Well, thank you both for joining me today. You're very welcome. It's been a real pleasure. Brian, I've loved talking with you. Thanks for, uh, thanks for a great conversation. Oh, uh, man, it's been my pleasure, Andrew. And thanks, Tamara, for, for putting all this together. Yeah, it's been a, definitely a, a joyful time. Oh, my <laughs> Enjoyed pleasure. It. Thank you for joining us. That concludes our conversation with Andrew Sharman and Brian McWhorter. We hope you found this episode informative. And this is one of a two-part series, so stay tuned and watch for the next episode coming up in the upcoming weeks. For more information about the EHS Congress 2020, Navigate to EHSCongress.com and you can see the lineup of fabulous speakers that we have for you and you can register here right on this website. And that is happening April the 21st to the 22nd, 2020 in Berlin. Are you looking for some show notes from either this podcast or a previous episode? navigate over to safetywithpurpose.com backslash safetywithpurpose and you can see all the episodes and get the notes from this particular one. If you're looking for health and safety resources for yourself or to share with your team, join us at safopedia.com where we have fabulous resources in the form of webinars, articles, Q&As and quizzes that you can share out. Until next time, stay safe.